Culture Map presents What's Eric Eating? From the Gal Media Studios in Houston, Texas, here's Culture Map food editor Eric Sandler. Welcome to What's Eric Eating? Culture Map's weekly look at Houston's bar and restaurant scene. I'm your host, Culture Map food editor Eric Sandler. Episode 25. I think there will be a point at which I stop thinking that the episode number is interesting, but we have not reached that point yet. We will have Jody Stevens from Jody Cakes on in a little bit, but first, I'm joined this week by Mary Clarkson, the owner of La Olivier Restaurant in Montrose. Mary, welcome back. How are you? I'm doing well this morning slash afternoon, Eric. Yes, it's a beautiful Monday afternoon, and we're spending it in a very small radio studio, but... (laughs) We have much to discuss. Uh, no bigger news last week than the announcement from Clark Cooper Concepts that they are closing Salter Seafood Kitchen. That's their luxurious, very elegant uh, seafood restaurant at the intersection of Kirby and West Alabama. It's been open for just a little over two years, not quite two and a half years. Clark Cooper is a very successful local restaurant group. They have Copa, they have Punk Simple Southern Food, they have the Dunleavy, Brasserie 19, and Ibiza. So this news may come as a surprise to some people. Mary, let's just kind of start at the beginning. Were you a Salt Air fan? I have a lot of love for this group, but Salt Air kind of just never, we never meshed, I guess. I went there a handful of times when they opened and their other concepts for me were a much bigger draw. Well, and I think that is part of the issue is that in in some ways, Salt Air was trying to capture some of the atmosphere, maybe of Brasserie 19, that big uh, U-shaped bar right in the middle of the dining room was designed to be a focal point. And it was definitely a hot spot when it opened, but it seems like it got overshadowed pretty quickly first by State of Grace, which was just absolutely bonkers when it opened, and then more recently by the restaurants in River Oaks District, State 48 and La Colonial, and Toulouse. And now, of course, it's all about a boozy for the CNB scene types, the bold-faced names, the social set. <laughs> Where do you think... I just had dinner at State of Grace last night, so when you <laughs> said that, that's a very fair point. Uh, for seafood and that kind of upper Kirby slash River Oaks area, State of Grace is kind of the best in class. Well, and then, you know, the other thing that I that I didn't think about, but that you made the point when we discussed this off air, is Upper Kirby, like if you're if you're trying to get that neighborhood crowd, they love Carabas. Johnny Caraba is I mean The King of he, Kirby. He is the man. Like there is no other. Um you're Carabas and Kirby, I mean Anybody who's ever been there, it's obviously not like any of the others. It's the original, the level of service there, the staff. It's hard to compete with that. Um, there's a loyalty to that location. It's been a restaurant I've been going to since I was a little girl. And it's a you know, a weekly or twice we- weekly rotation for a lot of families in that area. Well, where do you think Clark Cooper goes from here? I mean, are they, what are you hearing? Are they, are they in good shape? Or is this the first of... You know, they're an ambitious group. Um, They've done a lot of great things. If I were them, and my God, I mean, they know what they're doing um, more than I do. So I'm going to defer to them. But 
I would double down on your your concepts that got you to where you are. So Ibiza, B19, perhaps Copa, and make that your core. I know Dunleavy does well with breakfast and lunch, but I think they, they make a lot of money with their event space there. So that's kind of different. But B19, Hanover's getting ready to do this high-rise tower there. Um, I would be at B19 if I were Charles or Grant, the owners, every single day shaking hands and saying hi to people and making sure my wine list was as good as it's ever been, especially with the opening of a boozy. Um, B19, B19 would be my focus if I were them. Yeah, I mean, that's always been there. That's the moneymaker. Yeah, that's the that's the one with the well, and and to be fair, I mean Copa, Osteria, and Rice Village has always done very well for them too. Sure, but those are the two that are kind of the the signatures. And Ibiza, I mean, I feel like listen, my mom and I love Ibiza. It was what got them started out together as partners. Ibiza, I don't hear people talk about it as much anymore, and that's a shame because its food, as I always remember, was very good, and their price list is is well-priced as well. So give, give Ibiza some love. Yeah. A, a Midtown staple. And, and at a time when, you know, there's some turmoil in Midtown, Holly's just closed. Reef is currently closed for renovations after the hurricane. There could be other changes, certainly other changes coming maybe to that area. And it's been a staple and it's a testament to, I mean, the quality of the food and the way they take care of their customers. But, so here's the so here's the interesting speculation. The salt air space is so large that that I think one of the one of the popular observations in the, in the wake of this announcement is that it was really too big for a fine dining concept that that wasn't a steakhouse, right? That there's just there's something about a space that large that's really hard to sustain. So I heard an interesting rumor. I'm going to run this by you. Okay, tell me. There's a craft beer concept like a more like a sports bar-y <laughs> craft beer concept that's kicking the tires on the space mm-hmm. would you have a, a good feeling about that knowing that say twin peaks kills it right down the right down the street twin peaks it, does kill it twin peaks absolutely <laughs> kills it this this isn't a restaurant concept that, that i heard but it's it's a craft beer oriented sports bar would you would you have a feeling like that would be viable in that space I mean, I'm not going to compare something like that to Downing Street, but something that has a sports atmosphere where maybe you can have a patio component to it with lots of TVs and people can see it from the street, I think might bode well for that location. I don't think fine dining or even semi-fine dining is going to work well in that location unless you are a Steak 48 or some big brand. So I think going more casual for the amount of space they have, that space is massive. So... Um, casual is probably the way to go on that one. And then we've been sort of discussing with various people over the last few weeks that, that we think more closings are coming, that there could be some fairly established restaurants that do not make it to the end of the year. What are you hearing out there? Is that, is that consistent with what you're hearing or, or is it, Maybe overblown a little bit. Uh, I don't think it's ever blown. I mean, I know for ourselves personally, just the downturn from uh, post-Hurricane Harvey, um, we were not directly affected by flooding, but kind of the mentality of people eating out in the immediate weeks following the hurricane. I know everyone I talked to in this industry, whether it's bar or restaurant, was very worried there for the first month. And I think, you know, people, the summertime is typically a slow season for 
restaurants at least, September rolls around, it's time to make your money. So uh, I think a lot of restaurants don't have the cash flow to cover a, a significant sales dip. So, and, and I hate to say it, but unfortunately, I think that's absolutely true that more closings are coming. We will stay tuned for that. Uh, another topic I want to hit briefly, Eighth Wonder Brewery, which is one of our our beloved uh, show sponsor here, is expanding. They have started a distillery. They leased a space and purchased the equipment of a rum distillery that was located across the street from their location in East Downtown and beginning at some point next year, as soon as they receive all the permits, we'll have Eighth Wonder Vodka, Eighth Wonder Gin. Uh, you can't call it tequila because it won't be made in Mexico, but it'll be a tequila-style agave spirit. Uh, and then eventually bourbon and other aged spirits. We don't have a lot of craft distilling in Houston. Obviously, we had Morgan Weber on recently to talk about Indianola distilling, his new project that's doing some stuff, but but Indianola isn't yet producing its own spirits. This is a big step for Eighth Wonder. This is huge, and I'm super excited. I love the crew at Eighth Wonder. Um, I go there frequently. I think if anybody's going to do this, they're they're going to do very very well with this. Yeah, it feels like it's time for Houston to have. There's a, there's a couple of small distilleries that maybe aren't producing a variety of spirits. This feels like a good chance for someone to step up. And of course, Eighth Wonder is so established already as a craft beer, a, a rising star in the craft beer world that. This is a good way to kind of leverage their brand and, and grow what they're building. They've got a great brand, and I'm excited that they're not just picking one spirit. Like, I'm excited that they're doing gin as well. So let's see what happens with that. But we need to do a tasting when they do. Yes, we will We will have, <laughs> have to have, have, to have our, our good friend Ryan Soroka back on the show uh, with samples that we can discuss. And then, again, I don't want to dwell. I don't want to linger too long on this, but... Uh, Wallet Hub reported that Houston is a top city for vegetarian dining. We were, I think it's 17th in the country uh, of the top 50 markets. Even though we're the fourth largest city. Even though we're the fourth largest. <laughs> well, you know, I mean, I think if, well, and, and I think that's sort of the point, right? Houston is a, you know, I think Houston, for all its diversity, still, you know, burgers, barbecue, steaks. I mean, Tex-Mex, like, none of those are, are vegetable friendly, but. You know, it is a testament to the fact that the city has diversified. Certainly, if you go to any of the Indian or Pakistani restaurants on Hillcroft, they all have great vegetarian options. Chinatown has some fun vegetarian options. And then, you know, Houston chefs get pretty involved with that. So Hugo Ortega's restaurants always have great vegetarian options. Backstreet Cafe is is a favorite of mine for that. Cultivare is m- maybe some of the best salads in the city. Mm-hmm. Um Mary, I'll just put it to you. What do you think of uh, vegetarian, the state of vegetarian dining in Houston? I think it's expanded, and I think it's you know it's become a mainstay of restaurants. They're listening to their customers. Um, we do vegetarian and gluten free, and all of that. Tuesdays we do a tasting vegetarian menu, and you have to listen to your customers. And at least inside the loop from the restaurants I see and go to, that's what people want. So you have to be able to cater to that base and vegetarian dishes are tasting better than I think they've ever tasted. I think people are actually putting real effort. 
uh, into the flavors and taste of their dishes rather than just begrudgingly providing some vegetarian options. Yeah, you can't just do the grilled vegetable side anymore. <laughs> yeah, that doesn't work. Uh, one of my favorites uh, is Uchi's uh, vegetarian happy hour menu every day. They have vegetarian happy hour. It's kind of a hidden uh, item. You have to ask for it. But I, I think we've got a lot of great options. I love Himalaya's uh, vegetarian options also. Do you think, how much do you think that the improvement in the quality of vegetarian options has to do with better ingredients? That, that we're more interested in local produce, that local farmers are responding to this. Is that Does that play a role? It's absolutely playing a role. I mean, Chef Olivier is consistently talking about it's the quality of your ingredients and where you get them from and doing the least amount to those ingredients as possible um, to food. Food doesn't have to have 20 different ingredients in it at a restaurant for it to be amazing. It can have just a couple. And the simplicity of the ingredients, the quality of the produce from the farmers, um, the relationships that have been fostered is, is an amazing uh, attribute to the city. One of my favorite <sighs> farmer's markets is uh, Urban Harvest and Everything coming out of there is fantastic. Very good. And then uh, I do just briefly want to touch on Southern Smoke, which is the big barbecue-themed fundraiser that Chris Shepard organizes uh, on the Underbelly Campus. We had quite a lineup this year. We had, of course, the headliners, Aaron Franklin, uh, Franklin Barbecue in Austin, Texas, Rodney Scott, the uh, pitmaster who's got a restaurant in uh, Charlotte, North Carolina. Ashley Christensen from the Raleigh Durham era, who's a James Beard winner in her own right. Uh, Mike Lotta and Jason Stanhope from the Fig uh, in Charleston, South Carolina, and uh, and then a, a whole bunch of local talent. Oh, and and excuse me, and celebrity chef David Chang <laughs> from like, the Momofuku <laughs> Restaurant Group in New York. That guy. That guy. <laughs> that guy. I mean, maybe maybe the most famous chef in America <laughs> was in Houston uh, on Sunday for Southern Smoke, serving up a very, very good um, Korean uh, smoked short rib mm. with kimchi and trout roe on lettuce that was phenomenal. Uh, the, the Charleston guys did a... Uh, the Charleston guys did a... They, they, they actually did uh, Mexican-influenced stuff, which I think is pretty ballsy in Houston. Uh, a wonderful uh, grilled snapper taco and a spice rub and a charred corn salad that was a little bit elote style. Uh, Ashley did the uh, grilled oysters that were phenomenal. And the Houston chefs represented well. Justin Yu was serving Korean-style fried chicken. Hugo Ortega served up a bunch of venison tamales. Uh, there were empanadas Ryan Perra made. Paella in a five foot diameter cast iron pan that was uh, that was just a sight to behold. I mean, just a behemoth of a thing. Um, so yeah, a very solid showing. They raised five hundred thousand dollars for hospitality workers who were affected by Hurricane Harvey, and I really think it has cemented Southern Smoke status as the premier food event in the city, at least in terms of its ability to attract out of town talent. Uh, you know, obviously the um, the Rodeo Houston Best Bites, just for sheer quantity, is really tough to beat because it's like a hundred restaurants at a throw. But the overall quality of what I ate at Southern Smoke was very, very high. And even though that's a two hundred dollar ticket, I feel like, given the cause and and the quality of the wine and the beer and everything, I feel like 
it's as close to worth it as something like that can be. I think that and Butcher's Ball, right? Those two. Yeah, right. We've had two very good weekends of food events. I know you were at the Butcher's Ball. You had a good time. Yes. I think those two events are going to be mainstays for the fall calendar, especially for industry people, but even those that just have an appreciation for chefs and what they do and want to get, a, get to experience food and chefs from around the country. It's a great event and a great cause. And apparently it's so Southern Smoke is so successful that it's going to have a companion event sometime in the spring. Details on that are pending, but of course we will keep you updated. All right, that does it for the news of the week. We will be right back with our restaurants of the week. Stick around. You're listening to What's Eric Eating? So for our restaurants of the week, uh, Mary, I want to discuss with you the Dinner. Well, not quite a not quite a full dinner, but at least the taste that we had of Theodore Rex, Justin Yu's replacement for Oxhart in North Downtown. It's a very different experience, right? There's an a la carte menu, no more tasting menus. It's more European. Portions are a little heartier. the The room looks good. Uh, I'm just going to throw it over to you. What did you think of Theodore Rex? This is much more my style of dining. Um, I'm happy that it's a la carte. It makes it much more accessible to diners. The decor, they did a a revamp on the interior. It looks very French to me, to be honest, in a a delightful, playful way. The light fixtures they used are great. Um, They have this kind of wonderful clock centered next to the table that we were at. And just the style of, of the atmosphere, the lighting and the furniture looks great. Um, the tomato bread that we had, I forget the exact description of it. I think that's what it's called on the menu, actually. Okay, just tomato bread, but there was some cheese going on with that. It was simplicity done perfectly. I mean, it was the flavors of it. The tomatoes were actually in season and flavorful, and um, that was the start to our meal. Uh, we had some champagne. I know that they had a happy hour for the first hour that they were open, at least on the champagne was half or all the wines by the glass were half price, yes. which that was a smoking deal. Um, and we tried, you know, a few of the smaller plates. We had the dumplings, I believe. Um, yeah, we had uh, the gnocchi. We had, gnocchi, yeah. we had those braised beef cheeks with the pastrami, pastrami spice that I think was my Beef cheeks Favorite were bite. stellar, and that's not something that I would have typically ordered, but it was incredible. I think the only dish that kind of let me down was the fried vegetables, the 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 onions yeah. and the the mushrooms <clears throat> and the the mushroom. It it wasn't. I, I don't know. Maybe it was slightly over fried. It just didn't have the flavor that I was looking for. But we ordered four or five dishes, and of everything we ordered, the dessert was incredible. You ordered, oh yeah, just just a simple little uh, persimmons that I had been cooked down a little bit. Those were elegant and beautiful. Yeah, and they just they taste of the fall. I think for me, and I'm and I'm going back for a, a more a more complete meal at at T Rex uh, this week. So I'll, I'll have maybe some more thoughts with this with a second visit. But I think the one thing for me is that I really loved Oxheart because I always felt like I learned something about food, either a combination of flavors or a, a style of preparation, something about it. Um, I always felt like taught me something. I don't have that experience with T-Rex except for that persimmon dish that was just, just so simple and so elegant and so spot on. But I enjoyed the food that we had and I like the new atmosphere. It feels more relaxed. Yeah. It's approachable. And 
listen, people can't, not everybody can afford, I can't exactly remember what it used to be, but maybe 150 bucks a person with wine pairings. I mean, no, it was more like 120 with the what drive out with the wine. pairings. Yeah. And so, you know, you can, we got in and out of there for a very reasonable amount this time. And the bars first come first serve it's open. So people don't have to reserve. They can take a chance that they'll get one of the four spots and, and they have a couple of tables for walk-ins. It's this is going to be once the initial hype highs dies down. This is going to be a very easy restaurant to walk into. It feels I think. like a neighbor neighborly restaurant rather than this is something you have to book a month out or something like that. I think that's going to bode well for them. Yeah, and I think there's, I think I think it will be interesting to see how it evolves. This kind of bistro cuisine, but it's it's certainly more approachable. It's. It's like you said, it's very affordable. I mean, I, I took the calculator out and added up the whole menu and you can fire the whole thing for like $212. That's awesome. Four so, people. Yeah. If you you're four down. people, that's super easy. <laughs> uh, especially if you get in early and treat yourself to a half price bottle of wine. You no, know, a, a very satisfying first bite of Justin Usney restaurant. Easy for me to say. <laughs> restaurant. <laughs> yes. Restaurant. I just coined a new phrase and it will be something I know that I'll, I'll be back to and, and looking forward to more meals there in the future. And then just briefly, I know you didn't join me on my recent jaunts to Chinatown, but I did get caught up on uh, my trans new restaurants. Night Market was originally conceived as a kind of global curry restaurant with some Thai, some Indian, a little, of this, a little other things. Uh, it didn't quite work. It didn't really connect with its intended customer base, so they closed it down. They have reimagined it as an explicitly Thai restaurant. Uh, I stomped through papaya salad, pad Thai, uh, green curry chicken, a couple other dishes. Uh, very good. Very flavorful. Spicy, but not to the point where the heat just blows your palate out, where you can really get the, the depth and the layers of flavor in the cooking. And despite the name, uh, there are plans for it to be open at lunch, which will be nice. It will make a good companion to Maine, his Chinese restaurant that's located right next door. And then Mike has also opened up a poke concept called Locky Fish. It's right next to Tiger Den. Unlike every other poke restaurant in Houston that I have been to, this restaurant marinades its fish beforehand. So you can't get all the different sauces. Like they have two different salmon preparations. One was a wasabi. One was a, in a spicy mayo. They had two different tuna, tuna and spicy mayo, and then a very classic tuna show you they had some shrimp they had an octopus so that part either either i i like the way that it enhanced the flavors of the fish to have been sitting in the marinade i was worried that the fish would be mushy but it wasn't the texture was good it was still firm and then the salad options they had an edamame salad that's really unlike anything i've seen at a poke restaurant anywhere else in houston with uh had chickpeas in it, it had some other vegetables in it very satisfying. Uh, $12 for a pretty hearty portion, uh, 14 ounces in total, counting the, the salads and the rice and everything. So that was, uh, that was very satisfying. And, I, you know, I've, I've been wondering about these poke shops. I think they all, you know, my, my concern has always been that they all seem very similar um, and that playing the game with all these wild toppings is... Uh, kind of a losing battle because ultimately like there's only so many things that really go well with them. Uh, this, this is going a different path and I think it will, I think it will appeal to people who are into the poke craze and looking for something a little bit different. So 
That does it for the Restaurants of the Week. Mary, thank you for joining me this week. Thank you, Eric. We will follow you on Instagram at LaOlivierHouston and, of course, LaOlivierHouston.com. Uh, before you go, I don't know if we'll have you on the show again before Thanksgiving, so tell us what Ooh. you've got going on for Dining at Home. Okay, Dining at Home. Every year we do a big push for the holidays, starting with Thanksgiving for to-go orders. Uh, that menu will be live next week. Uh, so get your orders in early. Um, we do we deliver to your house, or you can pick up the day before. And what else? We're doing a series of three cooking classes each week in November leading up to Thanksgiving on how to prepare Thanksgiving meals. So if you don't know how to or you're afraid of cooking your own turkey or learning how to make sides, come join uh, Chef and I and you'll have a blast. Or you just want to hang out with a, a very charming, very handsome French chef with Michelin training. Absolutely. All right. Mary, thank you very much. I will be right back with Jody Stevens from Jody Cakes. You're listening to What's Eric Eating? Our interview this week is brought to you by our friends at 8th Wonder Brewery, one of my favorite local breweries, conveniently located in East Downtown. I mean, you can find 8th Wonder on tap walls and on store shelves all over the city. But there is something really special about visiting the brewery, whether it's for a soccer game or a baseball game. You know, certainly with the local baseball team in the playoffs, it's, it's going to be an exciting fall here in Houston, and there's really no place better to go before a game than 8th Wonder Brewery. You can have a couple of pints, maybe AstroTurf, their dry-hopped cream ale that's new and in stores, or maybe their Side Hustle, which is a barrel-aged version of Haterade, their Goza. And, of course, one of the fun things about going to 8th Wonders Brewery is that you have the Eatsy Boys food truck there. They have a new menu full of all sorts of new things to try. And just recently, they added David Attic's 36-foot-tall statues of the Beatles. John, Paul, George, and Ringo rendered in concrete in their Sgt. Pepper gear. And if you're a real Beatles fan, you'll notice that they're not positioned as they would have been on stage. I think that may be done just to infuriate hardcore Beatles fans, or maybe it's an accident, I don't know. But definitely check out 8th Wonder. Have a beer, have a bite from the Itzy Boys, and enjoy this uh, fall weather that we all know is right around the corner. Thank you to 8th Wonder, and here is our interview of the week. I'm joined this week by Jody Stevens, the owner of Jody Cakes. Jody, welcome to the show. How are you? I'm good. Thanks for having me on, Eric. It's my pleasure. I always like to start a little bit at the beginning with people. I've known you now for a long time. I mean, like 2009, I think. Yeah, nine nine years. I mean, when I met you, you were still like, you had like a corporate job and you were baking like occasionally, like on the weekends. That's right. That's right. I had to pay the bills. <laughs> How did you make the transition from corporate job to working for yourself full time? If you want the honest answer, um, I left my ex-husband. So the comfort of the, uh, of having two incomes and a house and kind of that kind of thing, uh, happened. It fell out under me and I was forced to move into an apartment not forced I made that decision myself and at that moment I was like well it's sink or swim here and I uh, quit my corporate job moved on and ended up just kind of doing some odd jobs waiting tables and I just continued my business until I could get into a kitchen and you're really known for at least in my mind vegan and gluten-free would you is that is that fair 
that is fair. That is, I, I went to Los Angeles in 2005 and decided that was what I wanted to do. And I kind of honed those skills. And when I came back in 2008, there wasn't anybody that was really doing that here. So how did you, well, so what was it about that specific style of baking that appealed to you? I like to tell people that in LA, Gwyneth Paltrow is a vegan, so everybody's a vegan. And I kind of used it as a marketing, kind of a marketing ploy. More people on the East and West Coast are more, uh, they're into dietary restrictive type of things. And I just found the niche for it. And as I started to grow my business, I realized that actually it's not just a marketing thing and a niche, but there are people that really truly have allergies and things that they avoid eating in their diets. Yeah, because you were a little bit ahead of the gluten-free wave. I mean, it seems like now it's kind of accepted that restaurants will be able to accommodate that particular dietary restriction. But certainly, I mean, seven, eight years ago, that wasn't a thing. That's absolutely correct. And, uh, you know, I remember when I did come back to uh, Houston and tried to get my foothold, a lot of people in, in the city said, this is never going to make it. That's not a thing. It's not going to be a thing. We're, you know, meat eating, gun toting people and that's what it is. But, you know, I'm, I'm one of every restaurant's major vendors for gluten-free desserts. So, so, I mean, so no eggs, no like all purpose flour, right? That's right out the window. No butter, no milk. What are, what are some of the how do you how do you get around some of that stuff or how did you develop the techniques to to bake that way? A lot of failure. So in my gluten-free baking, I've I've come to find that um the the flour blends that I make myself are better than any kind of store-bought flour blends. So it I mean, I really go out of my way to try to make the crumb and the texture just as normal as possible in my gluten-free. As far as vegan is concerned, I mean that's a whole other different animal for lack of a better term. But we utilize, we don't use flaxseed or egg replacer, which is basically cornstarch. I use vinegar. That's what I use as a substitute. So that's like the, so that binds the batter together? Is that? It, it has a chemical reaction with the baking soda and therefore creates the, the baking the, process. The right texture. Yeah. Okay. And then who are your, I mean, who are your customers? Are they, are they people with celiac allergies? Are they, I mean, I know you do a, a ton of just Indian weddings, right? I, I do because the Indian religion uh, states that they have an eggless diet, which is in turn vegan. I mean, they will eat dairy. Um, but my customers are kind of a, across the gamut. I, I mean, I run from five-year-old birthday parties to thousand-person weddings and restaurant accounts. So it just it's it's kind of all across the board. And then how do they find you? The best way to find me is online. Uh, my website is jodycakes.com. <laughs> but I mean, do they, are they searching like vegan dessert Houston? Oh, or? I see. Um, you know, it's funny because most people, I knock on wood, I've never done any formal advertising and my, I guess, SEO opt- or the optimization that comes back is vegan cakes, uh, gluten-free, gluten-free desserts, gluten-free cakes. Those are probably the main things that, that pop up and it pops up pretty much near the top, which it's just, I think it's awesome. And so you've built, I mean, again, when I met you, you were like doing this on your own. What What's the state of your business right now? I mean, how many employees do you have and what's your... What's your trajectory? According to my CPA, none. But um, <laughs> I do have a baker and a delivery guy. 
Um, with my trajectory, I mean, <clears throat> excuse me, I'm continuing to grow. I've been in the same commercial kitchen for two years, over two years now. Um, it's I'm, I'm not outgrowing it. It's not something where I'm in a, in a rush to go find anything else. Uh, I'm pretty centrally located, so people, it's easy to find. It's north of downtown, east of the Heights. So I, I think I'm in a good place to, you know, springboard to the next step. And you're still, I mean, we should clarify, like, you're still making the cakes every day. Um, pretty much. I have a baker. So she right. and I, we share the, the responsibilities. But yes, I am pretty much making the cakes. <laughs> they are still Jody's cakes. Yes, they are still Jody cakes. Um, and then the other, we're, we'll talk about the Depressed Cake Shop, which is an event that I know is very important to you in a minute. But I, I can't. I can't bring you on the show and not ask you about uh, your side business that you, you've you been known to do the occasional naughty cake. Eric, how did I know you were going to bring that up? Well, because I have I have directed people to purchase them from you. From time to time. <laughs> yes, I, I do have a, a business that's a little lesser known and probably not as uh, uh, out there, but we call it uh, lovingly Jody Cakes After Dark and tend to uh, create... Uh, cakes that are for bachelorette and bachelor parties, bridal showers, things of that nature. You can imagine. I actually won an award for that in Los Angeles. Yes, you're. I think you're the only person I know that's been uh, nominated for an AVN award. That is correct. And did you did you win the AVN award? Well, so I like to tell people it, it wasn't like the red carpet event that they hold in Las Vegas with all the performers. Performers. It is kind of like the um, technical side of the Emmys or the Oscars, where they don't even have an award ceremony. So I was awarded the I was awarded the award, just no formal fanfare. So what was the? So what is the official award that you won? Best new novelty item, and it was two thousand and seven, two thousand six or two thousand seven. So novelty in air quotes. Yes, <laughs> but they are. But certainly, if you're looking for, and and we should, I should clarify i suppose those don't have to be gluten-free you you will make regular cake well all cakes can be made regular cake but yes those generally although i did a gluten-free um chest cake for a group of guys going out on a hunting trip for a bachelor party and that was gluten-free the groom-to-be was gluten-free so i'll do whatever i know i i that's that's always what's been so funny to me is that you're I mean, I have never ordered either a gluten-free or a vegan Jody cake. I like the full leaded cakes, and your red velvet has always been one of my favorite versions of that. Thank you. That's my grandma's recipe. But I, we, I do want to mention that I do regular cakes on the regular, um, but primarily my business is driven by the gluten-free and the vegan, and it's just each week is so different. Um, so let's talk a little bit about the Depressed Cake Shop. Why don't you just tell us a little bit about what that is. We'll kind of start at the very beginning. Okay. So about five years ago, uh, Kat Kinsman was working for CNN and she had promoted an event that was coming out of the UK uh, called the Depressed Cake Shop. And it was a global initiative to raise awareness, one great cake at a time, about depression and mental illness. And basically, I saw that as something that was kind of near and dear to my heart. And I thought, I would like to create something that we can have a platform to talk about something that's so stigmatized, such as depression. And I just kind of 
tweaked it to my own liking and, and, and called upon my chef friends and restaurant friends that I knew that would be willing to donate a larger creation that we could raffle off to the foodie community or the people that like to attend events by their favorite chefs and restaurants. And then also include local home bakers that want to be involved as well that may not feel like they could do something as big or dramatic or whatever, but still be a part of the cause and do cookies and, and bars and pops. So that's how that began. Right. And certainly depression is a, a serious issue and it's, it pops up in the culinary community a lot. There's, there's men and women both have that kind of macho, you know, it's hard to ask for help. It's hard to, I think even when you're suffering from depression, it can be hard to know how to even ask for help or, or what you're experiencing is, you know, it doesn't feel like a disease necessarily. It just feels like you're sad and, and you should be able to, that feeling is you should be able to, you know, kind of shake yourself out of it or, or just work harder and work through it. Um, and you know, I mean, we've certainly lost friends to just couldn't take the pain anymore and, and took their own life rather than, rather than get help. So, you know, it helps to talk about these issues and let people know that there's an outlet. And so this event is so fun because the, the cakes are gray. Yes. Uh, and so they don't, they, so they're kind of silly looking a little bit. They are. And I have a lot of people that will call me or email me or text, where do I find gray food coloring or how do I make gray icing? And it, it's just, you never think about it. Right. How do you make gray icing? Well, you use a little bit of black. Uh, you have to be careful because the black food dye can turn purple, but just kind of little increments into to regular vanilla buttercream. So. And then, so it's happening this Sunday at Underbelly from 2 p.m. to 5 p.m. I think it's probably too long to go through everyone that you have coming, but but give us just a few of the highlights of who's participating in this. Sure. Um, we have uh, Chef Victoria Dearman from Underbelly and One Fifth um, returning with us. I've got uh, Chef Adam Doris. Um, Martha Delion is a new, from Pax Americana, is a new participant this year, as well as William Wright from Helen Greek. Um, gosh, there's a whole list of people. Um, Samantha Mendoza from Killens is, is, a, she's always one of our big proponents as well. So, right. And I will have a link to the Facebook event for the depressed cake shop on the culture map article that accompanies this podcast. So you can see the full roster and all the details, but how are you? So I know you're changing things this year instead of raffling the cakes off. It's a silent auction. Yes, we have decided that we feel that we could probably drive a little bit more revenue by doing a silent auction and having people bid on them. There's no entry into the event itself, and everything is just kind of a cash or credit card basis as far as the bake sale, but the auction will have clipboards out and kind of get a value ahead of time to that we have a starting bid, just like any silent auction. So, yeah, tell us a little bit about the, the bake sale component, because I, I don't want people to think that they can only go if they're going to bid on some, I mean, hopefully these cakes go for a hundred dollars or more a piece. So, but there is a, a more accessible component. Yes, absolutely. So the bake sale uh, portion of the event every year seems to be such a highlight. And the fact that we have all ages that donate cookies and cakes and brownies and bars, cupcakes and things of that nature. And anything is priced from a couple dollars on up to 10, just depending on the size. So if somebody has nice decorated like cookies that come from like Polly's or, 
you know, ooh la la, somewhere like that, we feel that the value might be more for them to just like an old fashioned bake sale, just, you know, purchase the cookies, eat on site. We're going to have the doors open between Hay Merchant and Underbelly so that people can kind of go in and out. We'll also have an open bar for people to grab cocktails and Greenway Coffee is, or well, I guess it's going to be Blacksmith will have their cart there. Oh, good. Okay. To, you know, sell coffee as well to go with it. So, right. A, a cash bar, not an open bar. That's correct. <laughs> Obviously, well, a free event with a with an open bar sounds like a good time. I know. I don't know. <laughs> um, and then, how did you? Because I know this event has been at Polly's in the past. How did you wind up moving to Underbelly? Well, last year we we had a record number of people coming through Polly's. Paul Petronella has been very very kind in donating his space to us over the last five years. And letting us come in on Sunday and then opening up the doors to Camerata earlier. And we were just at maximum capacity. And I reached out to the uh, Underbelly team and just I asked if it might be something they'd be interested in hosting as a venue. And they were all for it. So I'm really excited. I think it's a it's quite a jump in space. I'm, I'm nervous, of course, but I, I think it's going to be an excellent location. Yeah. Have you been surprised by the amount of support you've gotten for this? It, it feels like it just gets a little bigger every year. I don't. I, Yes and no. Um, I think anything that I, I, I put my heart into everything. So I, I think it will be successful no matter what. But as far as the, the numbers that have grown, it does surprise me. But in answer to that, it's always very surprising at the number of people that come to me during the event or after and say, thank you so much for doing this. And this is, it makes me, it makes me emotional because it affects so many people that they don't really have any kind of outlet to deal with that or talk about it. And this is a fun way to do that. So no, it doesn't surprise me. And then do you, I, I don't want to, I don't want to put you in too, in too uh, narrow a corner, but do you have a, a feeling? Do you have a, a target for how much money you'd like to raise this year? I don't. Um, I'd like to shoot for 7,000. It would be the most that we've ever raised. Um, but no, I don't really put an, a price tag on it like that. I just, I, yes, the money is important and yes, the donations are so important, but really the awareness and then the, the ability after the event to split those monies up in between two great organizations that, that help in this arena, I think is most important. So have you, has anyone like previewed with you what they're doing? Do you, are there, is there like one or two entries that you're really excited about? Um, I, I always get excited about Phoenicia's creation. They always have a showstopper. So, um, Haig over at, uh, Phoenicia emailed me and said, we're on board. We're good to go. Um, and nope, people are pretty tight lipped about it until, because it's so personal, I think. And then it comes to them. I just, I just came up with my creation today. So, so tell me a little bit about kind of what's next for you. I mean, do you, do you see yourself in a brick and mortar or are you... Where, where are you at in that process? That's hard to answer. Um, as I had mentioned just a little bit ago, uh, I've been in a commercial bakery now for about two, two and a half years. And I'm pretty satisfied with that. And there's never really been, I guess, uh, I, I mean, I have a business plan for brick and mortar, but it's not been something that I'm reaching for proactively. However, I always keep my eyes open and I always have my ears open and I'm always talking to people. And, and we should, I should say your, your cakes are available at a number of places around town. I, I saw them at Melange Creperie, the new Melange Creperie yes. that just opened in the Heights. 
Uh, where else can people find you if they want to sample Jody Cakes without committing to a full order? We are currently uh, gluten-free at Adair Kitchen in the Galleria area. And at Melange Creperie every week, they're going to host uh, or hold a gluten-free option and then a regular option. And that's where you can find me. Very good. All right. Well, I think that about does it for my questions, which means that it's time for the lightning round. Okay. Five easy questions, short answers. I'll let you drink, get a sip of your coffee. Thank you. <laughs> All right. Tell me the uh, first concert you ever saw. Rick Springfield, the Sweat for Success tour in 1981, and I am sure dating myself. <laughs> <laughs> Who is your favorite Houston sports figure, past or present? Um, I moved here in 95, and I was really into the Rockets because of the championship. I love Sammy Cassell and Clyde the Glide, but that's really all I know. I wanted to say John Elway, but I knew you would have been like, That is your favorite Boo. sports figure of all time. No, there's nothing wrong with John Elway. <laughs> Being from Denver, so. Uh, what is your fast food guilty pleasure? Uh, I don't always eat fast food, but when I do, it's probably Chick-fil-A, number one, with extra pickles. <laughs> Where's your favorite place to get a taco? Mm. Well... Recently, I've been digging on Taqueria Barba, which is the food truck located across from Catalina. My friends Steve and Lindsay own it, and their smoked pork taco is the bomb. I love it. Yeah, that their food is also available at the Grand Prize Kitchen five or six days a week. And I agree with you. That smoked pork taco so is good. unbelievable. And they can get it. You can get it as a quesadilla. Yes. And it's super affordable. It goes very well with just about anything on. Uh, the grand prize back bar if you can't make it for lunch by Catalina. And then finally, what uh, what's your restaurant go-to when you have someone visiting from out of town? Um, absolutely bar none. It's, it's kind of a, it's a choice between two. And it would be State of Grace because I think it's one of the most beautiful spaces in the city. And the food is always awesome. And then Cultivari. That you just you cannot go wrong either one. And if I had anybody come, in fact, the last person I did have come in town, that's, I mean, we, yeah, no questions asked. Very good. Well, Jody, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you. We can, uh, I know we can, we can go to jodycakes.com for all the, all the details and, and ordering information. Uh, what's your uh, social media feed? What are you on? You're on Instagram. Uh, Instagram at jodycakestx. Oh my gosh. And uh, Jody Cakes Houston is my Facebook page. So it's Facebook backslash Jody Cakes Houston. And also on Twitter, Jody Cakes at Jody Cakes. Great. Well, Jody, thanks so much for joining me. This was great. Thank you. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at E Sandler, on Instagram at Eric Sandler. Keep it locked on Culture Map for all the latest bar and restaurant news. And since I haven't said it recently, by the way, you can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes and Google Play. Uh, we will take your comments and your feedback. But like Katie Nolan always says, only if it's five stars and only if it's nice. Thanks so much for listening. I'll be back next week with Danny Trace from Potenta.